today's podcast talks about sexual politics in the novel Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, which is a dystopian fiction novel where, um, you know, sex and sexual relationships are front and center throughout the entire book. The sexual political lens kind of focuses on the personal motivations that are that can be observed in interactions between men and women, and specifically involving the the manipulation over one over the other of one over the other for control and power, um, as kind of coined by Kate Millett in the seventies um, in her book that kind of started the whole theory and philosophy adding to the feminist movement, um, Millet kind of categorizes sexual politics as a status category like race or class, which determines whether one is powerful or subject to another's power in their quest for dominance to support everlasting patriarchal systems in society. So essentially, it's the uh, quest for dominance um, and the support of the everlasting patriarchal society or systems in society, sorry. Sexual politics functions as a um, repression and marginalization of sexuality uh, for control in the book and in our society, in Western society. Sexual politics has developed a lot since uh, since uh, sex kind of uh, became more normalized in the late 60s and uh, became less of a taboo topic. Uh, there was a lot more openness of relationships um, with the fall of Christianity and the values that come with it. Um, sexual politics and the... Uh, normalization of sex has enabled men to assert dominance through sexual experiences with women um, in general and not just with their wives um, because there is less of a sacred uh... connotation. Yeah, you know, and that's actually really interesting, especially because that idea and concept is contrasted in, in the book, um, where sex is actually made sacred in the sense that it's sex for reproductive purposes and not for pleasure. And in the dystopian novel, kind of flipping that coin on its head and saying that sexuality is sacrilege um, in their perspective, in the um, Gilead Republic. Um, it's a society that highlights the extreme patri patriarchy and kind of revokes all power from women, which denies them pleasure. So it's funny to see that change in attitudes about sex in both the, you know, real um, time and historical context in which the book was written and um, what the actual events within the novel itself. Millet had a great quotation in her book um, that just kind of highlights everything. Uh, and it was, unless we eliminate the most pernicious of our systems of oppression, unless we go to the very center of the sexual politic 
and its sick delirium of power and violence, all our efforts at liberation will only land us again in the same primordial stews. Uh, Now, I think that this is such a topical quote uh, just because of Mm -hmm. its, uh, because of the uh, cycle of power and uh, sex in the novel and in the lens of sexual politics. I totally agree with you. And I think that the aspect of her quote, um, talking about kind of her effort or the, the need to analyze the sexual politic in society in order to finally liberate, um, you know, people. I think in particular, she was talking about women, women's liberation as this came towards the end of the, the feminist movement. Um, I think that um, speaks a lot to the main character of The Handmaid's Tale, Offred, um, in her kind of inner quest to feel normal, reflecting on her past experiences before the establishment that has now, um, you know, taken risen in power has taken over her life. And so she's now trying to liberate herself within the um, insane restrictions that she has to live through. Yeah, for sure. And we can even see the, um, we can see the uh, sexual ex- expression that is being repressed in the novel uh, and how men go about uh, satisfying their personal desires. Uh, we see Nick and the commander, um, two large male characters in the novel, uh, using their sexual motivations with Offred and with uh, the other women in the story. Yeah, and I think it's um, very poignant, especially um, because it's interesting to recognize them and they're um, almost taking advantage or, as you said, undermining the prescribed rules of the establishment because and get away with it it would be um absolutely you know awful if any woman in the context of gilead tried to um satisfy personal desires at the lengths that nick and the commander do um because they would if they were you know being women um they'd probably get hanged and shown by that wall um that atwood describes in her book that um off Fred and off Glenn visit frequently, you know, the repercussions for women kind of ex- um, exploring their personal um, desires would never be allowed. Um, whereas it's almost common for the men in the novel. Well, I think with, um, with Nick, I think he would also get prosecuted if he, uh, if he was to act on his desires and get found out. Um, But I think that they're all in this situation where if one of them were to, uh, I don't want to say tell on, but if one of them were to alert the authorities of the other's uh, misdemeanors, they would all be hanged, essentially. And I mean, 
one really big element of the novel for sure is the sexual relationships that occur um you know whether it's between Alfred and Nick or Alfred and the commander even um how Serena Joy is kind of woven into the mix there despite her you know unwillingness and just the lack of want obviously um but it comes down to sex being a political obligation sorry um it's kind of enforced by the establishment in of which they live and the ceremony that has now become ritualized in their lives as um not an experience but a job that they are you know held accountable for and that they have to perform in order to satisfy the ideals and beliefs of the establishment which completely contrasts what we said earlier about the sexual politic lens because um the ceremony definitely does not liberate women at all it um you know it really goes to show and um enforces the idea of manipulation and sexual manipulation um where men obviously end up on top Yeah, and we see with this ceremony, especially um, the the duty that they have to um, perform, right? And the idea that Alfred's whole life is based off of if she can provide a child for Fred and his wife. And we see that with a child, we'll come great celebration but if she cannot provide that child she might get sent somewhere yeah and I think that was the reason why she even ended up in that in the like commander Fred's household in the first place is because she was moved after being unable to um you know deliver the quote-unquote promise that she's um kind of guaranteed as her in her job as a handmaid and I feel like what you also really touched on is the power and status that come from, um, you know, having a child and having one of your handmaids actually fulfill the wishes of this new society. Um, Status kinds of, status comes from these sexual practices and, um, well, obviously without much heartache from the handmaids as they're objectified and used almost as, a tool um you know they're not humans but you know kind of reproductive objects within these um new concepts and ideals of the gilead society yes and we see that with the um the birth of uh the child in um the commander warren's household we see that um, Janine, or of Warren, gave Warren and his wife power and status with the baby. There was this big celebration, and all these other wives came over, and they all shared in this beautiful moment that was a chance for all of them to show their power and show their status in, in the society, whereas the handmaids they had so much taken out of them that day that they felt they were at the bottom right it was just a reaffirmation of the 
low status that they hold, despite giving the commander and their wives the power of that comes with the status. Yeah, and I think it's interesting even within the dynamics, like the dynamics within the household, um, the power struggles become very apparent because even though generally in the social hierarchy, the um, handmaids are definitely below the wives of the commanders, Offred has this really peculiar power over Serena Joy um, when they're performing the ceremony and engaging in relations with the commander just because um you know it's that physical contact that's so idolized and that um that experience so to speak that is um you know ritualized and so at the core of their society um it's like offred's one moment in which she can actually be you know defined as having more power than anyone else in that on only in that one moment which i think is really interesting it's interesting also that she only found that power once she started seeing the commander after um hours i guess you could say uh it's interesting (laughs) that she only found the power of being in the place of serena joy in a sense um after she started uh, visiting the commander and going and playing Scrabble with him, even though it's this very um, non-intimate thing, she found power through spending more time with him and making creating a connection that is deeper than just sexual intercourse. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like the sexual identity held by each of the characters differs greatly you know some of them i'm like the commander obviously are you know pretty aware of their own identities and you know i guess well the women in the story are as you mentioned before definitely marginalized and repressed and i feel like this actually connects well to um one of the past course texts of owen meany um especially when you're talking about power and um, identity, you know, John in um, A Prayer for Owen Meany has absolutely no power. He's likened to this Joseph status and um, Joseph figure uh, due to his lack of sexual identity and overall experiences in that whole department. Um, You know, he's lost. He's um, definitely on a different path compared to his friend um, Owen and it's really made clear through him that those sexual relationships allow people to gain power in different ways. Yeah it's really interesting how we see how um, Tabitha and the Reverend especially they're such an odd relationship in this book and we can see how Tabitha being this very over-sexualized character is interacting and has the power over the character of the reverend who is this holy man uh, who has lost faith um, which was another whole a whole other story um, <laughs> but we can also see how the reverend holds 
power over Tabitha because of their relationship. And we can see how because of their sexual relationship, the Reverend was able to hold her back from marrying Dan. And we can see that um, he was kind of holding their relationship over her head and threatening her with telling John about it um, because that was the way that he was conceived. Uh, And it would ruin her whole life, basically. And because she's constructed this lie, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting how we can see the sexual relationships in other novels uh, bringing power and bringing status to different characters. Yeah, I I really like that point, Um, especially just the specific power that certain genders assume. You know, Tabitha, as you mentioned, you know, she was popular, she was well-liked, she was loved, she kind of exuded sexuality and this kind of, you know, vitality about her. And, um, you know, despite that, though, despite the love and adoration that she received, she was still um, being held back by this man, this reverend, who was not only a part of a religious establishment, but just having had sexual relations with him, he was able to then, you know, kind of lord that over her, um, despite them both being equally involved. But I think it was interesting, the gender dynamics. I think this connects really well to the quote about um, being in the cycle of liberation and trying to be liberated and female uh, empowerment in this case, um, in all of the efforts of liberation and how men in these two instances will always be on top as they are the gender with the power essentially yeah yeah and i mean if we didn't get to the core of this you know if we didn't analyze it and we didn't understand that sexual politic is actually at the heart of not only handmaids and owen meanie but just our societal structure in real life i feel like women won't be able to be liberated and that the feminist movement while it has kind of stopped or you know paused a little bit you know it definitely, this definitely plays a huge part of it and it's kind of resurgence. And I feel like this can be applied in more ways than people actually expect. For sure, for sure. I I totally think that it's, it's part of society today. It's so incredibly pertinent in our society, in every society. It's so relevant and it just goes back to how relevant the Handmaid's Tale is and still is. I, I totally agree. And I feel like that is the perfect ending to our podcast on sexual politics and its literary criticism for different uh, novels. So, um, yeah, I think that was a great conversation. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. That was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you.